RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Dr. David Thunder is a research fellow at the Institute for Culture and Society at the University of Navarra in Pamplona, Spain. He's also a lecturer and researcher in moral, political and social philosophy. If you remember, we talked to Dr. Thunder, how can you forget that name, back in September on the EU's Digital Services Act. Well, now he's back because we want to talk about the EU's introduction of digital identity wallets. Dr. Thunder, nice to have you back. Nice to be here. Okay, this just keeps getting better and better, this whole thing, doesn't yes. it? So it does. um, last time, as I mentioned, we uh, we talked about the EU's Digital Services Act, now the digital identity wallets. Is this part of the same thing, or is this a separate thing, or is this another uh, another brick in the wall? How do we think about this? Well, I would see it as um, another brick in the wall, in a sense. I would see it as an important element in the erection of a surveillance apparatus um, that keeps tabs on on citizens, um, on their purchases, on their activities, um, on their online activities, and so forth. Um, but I would say it's important to emphasize that the uh, the initial version of the digital identity wallet uh, may well not have these surveillance features. It is possible that the first rollout of the wallet, and probable that the yeah. first rollout of the wallet will not include, um, you know, uh, surveillance features, and it may even include important privacy features. Um, so I think that's an important point to make because obviously. Um, you know, uh, part of the defense of the digital wallet will be that they will build in certain privacy features in the first version. Yeah. And there's quite a bit um, said about that, isn't there? With um, who are the people involved? Uh, Cherry Breton and um, and uh, Ursula, um, who um, have been sort of uh, talking about this in the material I've been seeing, pushing the privacy, the convenience of access, it's a lifetime identity, right? That's another thing. It's a lifetime wallet. Yes. And, and and if you look at it, what it could encompass is everything that you would need to have control eventually, is what I read into it. Yeah, I mean I think I think it's it's important to point out that yes, that basically uh, you can build into this wallet um a whole slew of information personal information, uh, including your medical records, um, your bank records, your payment information, your obviously your address um, and your vaccination status. All of these things can be built into the wallet and, and will likely be in the wallet and even your money, uh, even, you know, because the digital euro is on track to be introduced in the next few years. And um, Thierry Breton, who's, you know, the EU commissioner who is behind this digital ID, uh, one of the things he said was, now we need to put money in the wallet. Um, So (laughs) he's referring there to putting digital currency into the wallet. Um, and, And so I think there are, you know, so many issues with the wallet, but one of them is an important issue with the wallet is that it's a stepping stone towards normalizing digital currency yeah um, yep. you know and uh digital currency uh is programmable 
And and what that means is that uh, when you have a digital euro in your wallet, your uh, your digital wallet, um, that euro can be made to work for certain transactions and not work for others. So if someone pressing a button in the central bank decides we don't want you to spend money on more than a hundred euros of petrol for your car um, or energy. Uh, they can do that. If they say, we don't want you to take more than two flights per month, they can block your your digital currency for, for that transaction. Um, it gives them an enormous leverage over your transactions and your ability to transact. Um, now, again, I will say they're, they're being smart about this because mm-hmm. they're not building all of this stuff into the wallet in the first rollout. Um, and if there is a currency, digital currency, which there will be, they're not going to program it in all of these ways when it first it's first rolled out. Um, it's a it's it's a kind of a gradual process, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, so so just because people can be naive and think, oh no, but look, uh, it's got privacy mechanisms built in. I can control what they see and what they don't see. That might well be, but that's programmable, and it's they can take it away f- from you just as they can give it to you. Yeah, selling it on convenience is a very powerful thing as well because then you can make those changes downstream on convenience as well that may not be in anyone's best interest. I know that uh, Christine Lagarde has also been speaking in the last week or so. I saw her kind of giving a few details about the digital euro and really just admitting in the interview straight up that it would have elements of control and programmability. And she was talking around the use of cash the first kind of version of that. So the, the all the piece parts are sort of coming together is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, if you think that the Digital Services Act, which passed recently, uh, basically gave the European Commission power over the moderation policies of big tech, of, you know, Google and Facebook and Twitter, X, and, and these m- massive platforms... So that's one uh, piece in the kind of surveillance apparatus is, is censorship over digital content, yeah. Yeah. you know, and our digital, like our experience, if you want, of digital platforms and our interaction with them. That's one piece. The digital currency is another really important piece because that's a way that you can actually control people's spending habits. And you can, it's also a really important lever of control because you can turn off the cash flow at will. Um, so that's another another important element. And then the digital wallet is also a very useful m- instrument of control and surveillance because, because uh, it allows them, um, you know, further down the line, if they wish, they can reprogram the wallet so that they do have access to your medical records and your banking information and so forth and your payment history and your and your even your browsing history if you have to use the wallet to log into Google for example, um, or to use the internet even. So uh, it sounds very dystopian. I know there will be people who have a hard time believing this is happening. But if people are naive enough to think it can't happen, then they should just look at what happened during the pandemic with the COVID digital certificate, where there was literally a biosurveillance system put in place. That was like a dry run. Sort of a dry run for it. It Like a dry run for it, you know, a a sort of a market test. Yeah, I mean, you could, um, and 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 actually, let's just say that the worrying aspect of it doesn't depend on it being a dry run in the sense because even if it wasn't a dry run, 
it it's it, it's an example of the fact that they're willing to do it and, and also um, scoping out hmm. the psychological element of it how these things are accepted what threshold do you have to get above to persuade people there's all these sort of points come into play and and that that works kind of have been done also you know what does it say about the future of europe i know this is bigger picture but this kind of locks in uh, this european sort of monolith doesn't it forever and a day when you create this sort of infrastructure because you have to pull apart more than just relationships with countries you, it, it, it sort of yeah. is, is like a super glue in a way yeah i think it is um it, it is very difficult to on undo these kinds of changes once they're put in place and and it's important also uh the thing is that these um the people who govern uh the european union um in the parliament and in the commission are much more remote from everyday national politics and um in fact one of the reasons they can get away with probably even more than national politicians even more is because um you know basically what they do is not being thrashed out and discussed in national media very much so you know most citizens frankly have no idea what is coming down the pike they have yeah. no idea that these changes are happening um and it's like this kind of high level layer of um elite uh intervention and and regulation that is completely abstracted from national politics and therefore ordinary citizens just would have to scratch a lot to even figure out what's going on yeah are there um nation states that are more i mean i'm thinking hungry probably Viktor Orbán would probably push back against this sort of thing but he's probably a, an outlier is this kind of accepted by the governments of the EU countries or is the the layer you're talking about kind of even above them i guess when i when i talk about a layer i i i'm i'm talking about the issue of transparency and the fact that citizens can't readily see what's happening it's not in their in their sort of everyday media coverage and feed and so they don't see what's happening but in terms of control and influence um i don't i i don't see it as something necessarily completely above the national um governments i see it as something in which the national governments are complicit and collude okay. um in yeah. bringing this situation about because the european union ca- cannot do these things the commission cannot do these things without the support of parliamentarians in the european parliament which are and and also with the support of the executives of the member states um that 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 obviously put them in place and that went along with this nonsense so 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 you know it's easy to blame the commission so it's a group should be think. blaming their own governments this is group think yeah i think it is group think i think that there is a certain way of thinking about issues such as disease control and climate change that is uh absolutely dominant in the world economic forum absolutely dominant in the united nations absolutely dominant in the european commission and very dominant in the european parliament as well and and so uh you know we could call it groupthink 
in the sense that uh, I suppose there's an element of going along with something because because it suits your career or because dissenting would be too costly. Uh, it would be fascinating to do a study of that, but I, I, I don't really understand exactly how this happens, this complete yeah, quasi-consensus. It's a fascinating thing. And you wonder, you know, what, what, what are the drivers? Is it carrot, stick, mixture of both? Um, like you say, getting ahead, uh, you know, greed <laughs> for material wealth or, or all of the above. Yeah, I mean, I think um, power and oh, career and yeah. definitely play a huge role. And um, I think that a lot of people in the system, there are some people who actually think that they're doing planet Earth a big favor and doing Europe a big favor by making life safer for everybody. There are yeah. some people who actually go along with this stuff. And, and, and there are people who may mentally, you know, uh, from repeating it and hearing it enough, they start to believe it. Um, but there are other people who just cynically, and I suspect more than we would maybe uh, think, cynically manipulate uh, people using these ideologies, these ideological tricks, um, such as the idea, I mean, I'm going to, there's one passage that I think was particularly, that's Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the commission, when she, when she was bringing German in physician, the physician, is there anything in that? Sorry? German physician, is there anything in that? Because I'm just thinking of where, how the doctors and the medical people have gone in you know, the last Well, that's interesting, time. yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I have to think about that one, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I something that Ursula von der Leyen said uh, in relation with the digital COVID certificate, which was basically a passport you got if you vaccinated with this particular vaccine, right, against COVID, uh, which turned out to be an extremely unsuccessful vaccine in terms of stopping transmission and in terms of side effects, one of the more dangerous vaccines out there. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, she said that this system that they put in place, uh, and I'm going to quote, because I find it astonishing, this quote, reassures us of the spirit of an open Europe, a Europe without barriers. Reassures okay. us of the spirit of an open Europe, a Europe without barriers. This is a piece of legislation. This is a scheme that essentially separated people from their families if they weren't vaccinated. Um, basically, if they wanted to cross Europe, if they wanted to travel, yep. they had to pay prohibitive costs for constant testing every time they cross the border. And she calls this um, a Europe without barriers? Is this 1984? Well it, well, it kind of is. How do you think any sensible person could not realize that, um, that speaking those words is, is basically 180 projection, unless you really believe, even though you know that it's not to be true, that, um, that it means completely the opposite? It astounds me. How, the, how you can lie straight in bed with that, you know? Well, I I actually have a sense that, I was thinking about that this morning, and I, I kind of have a sense that probably the vast majority of European citizens never read that, that phrase of hers and never yeah. saw it. And that she's kind of using that language for her fellow European officials. Okay, so um, she's you know she's it's kind of not not wink, wink. Yeah, yeah. It sort of let's kind of just make this all feel good 
you know, we're, we're making lives better for people. We're making life safer for people. Um, we'll use this language. The communists did the same thing. Yeah. You know, the Russian communists just had a particular code, uh, a kind of a, a weird uh, way of talking that would dress everything they did up in this, this ridiculous language of workers of the world unite. Um, you know, and you can oppress people in the name of solidarity. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so let's control the borders and basically create a, a medical undercla- underclass and we'll coerce people into accepting a medication and we'll call it a Europe without barriers. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, that um, um, the wallet, surely as it, um, it, it comes in and people use it, they they understand or, or feel the convenience of it. It it logically gets to a point where unless you're operating out of that wallet, no one wants to do business with you, right? I mean, it'll be what it is in the end. It may come to that. I mean, there's a scenario that the optimistic side of me wants to believe could happen, which is that uh, which is that a lot of people will boycott the wallet okay. and will not use it for one reason or another. Um, because one of the things people need to understand is that the digital wallet's success depends on uptake. I mean, basically, that wallet, if 5% of the population are using that wallet, it's not going to work. It won't take off. Um, I believe that in China, they tried to introduce a digital currency and it didn't take off because um, most people just refused to use it. They yeah. even tried to pay people off to use the currency. So they even tried to make deposits into people's accounts so they would use the currency. And still, most people decided, no, not for me. Um, so there's it can be incentivized, though, can't it, David, it could be incentivized. You could say, well, any government service out of this wallet, you know, there's a discount or there's a bonus or or, uh, yeah, that's or, or traveling on and, any and, transport on this wallet is cheaper. So you kind of incentivize it that way as possible. Oh, and, and it's likely and it's almost certain that they'll do that. I mean, they're not stupid and they, they know how to make things more attractive for people. So they will incentivize it. They'll probably say, open a wallet with us. I mean, maybe they won't be this blatant, but like open a wallet with us and we'll transfer 200 euros into your account yeah, to, immediately. To get it all, well, um, banks do that all the time. So why wouldn't they do that? Um, well, we have, we have a um, thing here for seniors called the gold card, and it was a particular political party um, managed to get that over the line 20 years or so ago. You get to 65, you're eligible for the gold card, and there's quite a few discounts available uh, services that are relevant to elderly or seniors in the country. It has a huge uptake. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the, it'll be easier for them to force it for government services because because the government's already co-opted in many ways. Or let's just say the government's not so much co-opted as the governments are on board Mm. Uh, in many cases, with these with the schemes, so they you could offer a tax break, a tax break. I mean, there's all sorts of things that I don't want to give them ideas, well, but that yeah, uh, that's true. Um, I mean, I guess the question is, will private service providers get on board and jump with this? And will initially, what they'll do is they'll it'll be parallel to other um, other methods, payment methods, and so they'll say, no, it's just optional. Um, but then they might say, uh, for the sake of protecting your privacy, yeah, we might make it obligatory, because because you know all those nasty private service providers and payment methods, 
they're unreliable. Yeah, the security's uh, and, not good, and and maybe you have yeah. a couple of big, uh, you know, um, uh, cyber attacks on banks, uh, and then you, you're kind of again hurting people a particular way. And with digital currency, central bank digital currency, effectively banks are redundant, as I understand it. Anyway. Yes, the intermediate okay. banks are, are redundant in a yeah. sense. The local banks and um, um, have a much a very limited role. You could say. Yeah, well, uh, um, the money's direct. It's not physical yeah. anymore, and um, yeah, okay. So, all right. Now you've you've written um, Substack on this. What's the reaction been? Because you know we're just saying that uh, you know who knows about this. Um, that's one way of getting it out. Are, are you getting views? Are you getting um, a, sort of a debate um, um, <laughs> narrative, whatever you want to call it, uh, going on this, and are others as well? Well, I mean. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean, on the one hand, it's true that I was happy to see that this, my Substack was republished in a lot of different uh, forums. Yeah. Um, although, although to be fair, they were, uh, you know, they were generally conservative forums and forums that were, that were, you know, that would be, let's say, somewhat skeptical about big government. Yep. So uh, my f- my concern is that these discussions tend to kind of reverberate in certain yeah. types of forum. Yeah. So you don't see these discussions very much in the in the broader sort of mainstream media. Um, I mean, it's I, I I was happy to see there was a letter from five hundred um, researchers and cybersecurity experts. Yeah. and civil society organizations, um, an open letter to the commission raising concerns. And, and they actually said in that letter that this digital identification uh, identity system would make, uh, would actually worsen our digital security, not improve it. Yeah, it I would make us that. more vulnerable yeah. than before. <laughs> so that's another 180 degree um, flip there um, from how it's sold. Yeah, so... so um, so, I mean, the thing is, there are technologies, you know, let's just say digital ID and digital payment, I think, are coming, whether we like it or not, yeah. in one form or another. And, there, and, and, and some form of digital wallet is probably inevitable. But the question is, is it going to be a hyper-centralized, hyper-central and centrally managed wallet? Or is it going to be a, a wallet that is in the control of the citizen? Um, where they genuinely have control over their information. So I'm not an expert in blockchain technology, but I have friends who are uh, studying blockchain technology, and they uh, have explained to me that there is a way of using blockchain technology um, to essentially decentralize control of these networks. And you could have a digital wallet system that is uh, that gives a huge amount of control over the end user over their own information, and um, does not allow a central controller to unilaterally control that information. Um, that technology is out there, and I think the European Commission is terrified by the idea that that decentralizing technology could become mainstream, uh, because that would completely take control out of their hands. Yeah. Of, of of cash, of the economy. Well, it would call of, into question their existence full stop, in a way, or their relevance, wouldn't it, ultimately? Well, certainly for a lot of, for the kinds of things they want to be relevant, uh, yes, I think it yeah. would. Um, 
Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's why I'm Turkeys kind of excited don't vote about for blockchain. Do they? Sorry? Turkeys don't vote for Christmas. <laughs> no, no, they don't. There's, they certainly don't. Yeah. Um, but but just the, the point I wanted to make was just in case people think that we're just complaining about this centralized system as if there's no alternative, um, as if we're just sort of saying, yeah, well, we there, don't there like is. it. Decentralized banking is the alternative. I think that's the term for it. Yeah, decentralized yeah. banking, um, and and, and and not just in banking, but in lots of other services and areas such as voting and um, organizing community life and making decisions. There are technologies that really are not 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 easy to co-opt um, because they require buy-in by all of the stakeholders mm. and and control and, and and so broadly speaking, blockchain is one is one of these technologies. Broadly, it's a very big, broad technology, but um, I think it's important just to make that point constructively. Yeah, but people have to know about it, and it has to be um, put in front of people as a viable kind of alternative or a way through knowing what we know now and trying to sort of reverse engineer the future. What do you think happens next in this progression? How do you see it sort of mapped out? I don't know over what time span year, two, three. Well, uh, well, I mean, I think the digital idea is going to be in place. Uh, they're aiming to have it in place by 2025, 26. Okay, so um, not far away. Okay. Not far away. The digital currency is literally in a matter of maybe a year that they'll start phasing it in. Well, they've created um, the, the digital euro already, I believe. But that, that The architecture. Yeah, I mean, the, I think program. so. I think basically uh, one thing is to have it kind of designed and to have it theoretically functional. Another thing is to actually have it in widespread use. Yeah. Um, and so they want it to be in widespread usage and they want to roll it out in the next few years and they can't predict how quickly it'll take off. I mean, there's no way to know exactly how the uptake will be. But yes, I do think a lot of citizens are asleep. And so I think a lot of citizens are going to be taken in by these technologies and by these the convenience that they offer i do expect that a growing minority a steadily growing minority will reject these technologies and will start to understand that they're being manipulated all right well good to catch up with you again dr david thunder what happens there will eventually happen here so you know we've been kind of warmed up for it as well those things so it's good to hear what you had to say rcr with paul brennan reality check radio